If it's not part of the mind plan, then it just simply doesn't get done. So the question actually becomes not about not caring. It's like, how do you get it into the mind plan? How do you demonstrate the value? Hello, everybody. This is Mike Payton with the EOS Leader Podcast. So grateful to be bringing you Mike O'Kane today. He's the founder and senior technical advisor for O'Kane Consultants, a world leader in optimizing mine waste management. Mike's passion for the environment led him to create a company that helps create a better tomorrow through a holistic, integrated approach to mine waste management and closure planning. O'Kane is headquartered in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and has other offices in Canada, the US, Australia, and New Zealand, and as you might imagine, has worked with mine sites all over the world. So Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peyton. Really, really happy to be here and uh, humbling. Not so much that it's humbling where I'm thinking less of myself, but more of sitting with somebody who has uh, created something that, that that helped me quite a bit in my life. So I, I'm really, really appreciative. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, it's a lifelong journey of learning. And, and I appreciate you helping the people who are listening join that journey and work alongside us. So my pleasure. Let's talk about your journey to become an entrepreneur. Where do you think it began? And when did it start to gel for you? Boy, tough question, because I often people ask me, oh, you're an entrepreneur. I said, am I? Yeah. Am I really? <laughs> but I, I think part of it probably started when I decided to become a research engineer uh, under my mentor, Dr. Lee Barber, as I was doing my graduate studies at the University of Saskatchewan and lots of research engineers there, very bright people. And I said, you know what? I'm going to maybe do it a little bit differently. I'm going to see, could I actually create work? Could I bring in research dollars? as a research engineer, because I'd already been a little bit exposed to to my dad working in the mining industry and been to a few conferences and stuff like that. And I said, I, I'm going to see if I can actually do it, sort of emulate what my dad does is have conversations, network, et cetera. And that's what I did. I developed uh, research dollars and development dollars, sensors that they wanted to, to develop, you know, specific work for different mine sites, all applied R&D, because I like being out in the field and figuring things out. Um, but yeah, that's what I did. And, and, and as I look back on it, yeah, I guess that was entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. I can't tell you what percentage of the guests on this podcast are accidental, woke up one day and found themselves running an entrepreneurial company and went, well, how'd that happen, right? So not unusual at all. Give the listeners a rundown of exactly what optimizing mine waste management is. Tell us about your company, how you got into the work, uh, what it does. So the optimization part depends on your perspective. If I was in a community uh, around a mine site, I'd say, I want to be optimized for water quality. I want to be able to make sure and protect that water that's around in the watershed. And I want to make sure that the promise that were made about what was going to happen with the, the mine site and the mine in the area afterwards, those promises were kept. If I was in the mining company, I want to, I want to maximize the value of that asset, that gold, that copper, that iron ore, whatever it is in the ground. And, and so what O'Kane does is we say, you know what, there's an issue here. There's the fact that we've got Today's risk is optimizing that value, making sure the landforms are stable and, and you know, they don't fail and things like that. Tomorrow's risk is the water quality, that social aspect. What's the future land use? And so what we do is can, can we begin with the end in mind 
can we actually think about what that future land use is and say, could we actually strategically develop that asset, that, that mine site, so that everybody has a say in it collaboratively as we go along and what that future land use is. Mm -hmm. So that's what Ocane does, mine planning, how do you move the dirt around, get it under the ground, optimize that ore blending, but also the closure aspect. Can we do progressive closure? And it's very similar to how, say the house that I'm sitting at, how, how did it get developed? Mm. It got developed because the city, the developer, the landowner all got together and they said, let's make a farm into a residential space. Mm -hmm. That's very helpful. And, and my observation of the work that you do, it feels like science, technology, a lot of great listening skills so that you understand the perspectives of the stakeholders involved and then just raw execution. It's all of those. It's all of those. My Lee Barber just sent this to me, reminded me of it. And uh, it was the story of, uh, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was two fish, young fish just swimming in the water. And uh, have you heard of this one? Maybe. Keep going. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> two fish swimming in the water and, and two young guys. And the old fish comes by and says, hey, boys, how's the water? And then they keep on swimming. And then they go, uh, hey, what's water? What's water? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Right? That's good. So what's obvious to us, so what's obvious to me is what I think is what is best, mm -hmm. what is good look like is completely different than somebody else. That's right. So the first part is getting aligned on that. Like what is good look like? What's the assessment metric for that? What's the acceptable level of residual risk? And then all the technical stuff is the easy part. But that first part, that's the hardest part. Mm -hmm. I think that's common to most things we do. It's definitely common in the mining industry. Yeah. Awesome. W when did you found the company? 1996. I had uh, worked at the university as a research engineer for a couple of years. And then uh, my dad and, and Lee Barber encouraged me. He said, hey, that's a niche technology. Why don't you go and see see what's what? Right. And then I had uh, one fellow who I had met through while a research engineer, Bob Gardner. And we were doing work for him. And he says, I'd like to continue to do that when you leave the university there. And I said, OK. I didn't know how it worked. Yeah. I just said, it's, yeah. it's good to me. Yeah. I'll just do it right in front of me. <laughs> well, don't we all, right? One foot in front of That's the right. other, and then you wake That's up right. one day and you're there. Uh, so yeah. 20, 25 years later, how many people around the world? Uh, give us a sense of size and scope. About 70 people, a number of different small offices. That was actually pretty cool because unbeknownst to us, we were actually preparing for the pandemic. We're used to connecting virtually mm -hmm. exactly how we're connecting right now. We've been doing that for quite a bit of time. So I was really proud of our team. We we stepped right in from one day to the next with seamlessly and uh, have been highly functional all throughout. It, it's mm -hmm. been pretty cool. Great to hear. Let's change some pace here. And I want to I want to focus on your sort of discovery of the idea of leadership and how you've evolved into the leader that you are today, willing or unwilling mm -hmm. along the way. <laughs> so so go back to the earliest recollection you have of seeing someone lead. Maybe it's a historical figure you know, somebody on TV or a sports figure, maybe somebody in your family, who is that person? What were they doing that made the idea of leadership resonate with you? And what did you take away from that experience? Well, I'm going to offer a bit of a story about uh, my aunt, my aunt Kay, and another bit of story about my mom, if you don't mind. Of course. We'll start with my mom. And it reminds me because I was just in a call like this meeting some uh, scholarship winners for my for my dad's memorial scholarship at the at the College of Engineering. So where did that scholarship come from? We had this amazing wake for my dad in Vancouver, an Irish wake, and hundreds of people, lots of people came up and talked. 
And as my mom is receiving the condolences and stuff like that, and everyone, people, she's, you know, she's saying, uh, she's asking, says, so, oh, would you care to actually contribute to a, a memorial so scholarship in his name? And I go, mom, like, this is not the time to be asking for money. It's dad's, it's dad's, it's dad's wake. <laughs> and she turns to you and she goes, what better time to actually ask for money? <laughs> Your mom was a closer. She was a closer. That's me. Had the conversation. Ask the question that yeah. you just don't want to ask. And I think that's just putting yourself out there. It's amazing. And then you see the fruits of that labor. Just I'm with TEC in Canada. Todd mm-hmm. Miller's our coach. And he always talks about leadership is about influencing outcomes, right? So, oh, that's just a conversation. You know, there's a scholarship. Well, it's been uh, how many years? 15 more years. Every year I get to meet these bright young engineers who are from the same college my dad went and where I went to school. And I get to meet them every single year. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's amazing. Just one small little thing about being direct. So that's the other one. And the other one is, is really, really make sure that you keep it simple. Just keep your ego in check. Um, And that's my Aunt Kay. So I'll give you the technical aspect. So the first thing I did was cover systems, right? So it's just like a landfill or even if, I don't know if you're, are you a golfer, Peyton? Yeah. A bit. So what does a greenskeeper do? He makes sure there's enough water, you cut it short enough, you know, all that sort of stuff. Does the dirt have enough water, et cetera, et cetera. Just like what a gardener does. My Aunt Kay was a gardener. And I had to describe what I'm doing with this mine waste cover system. They're super fancy Aunt Kay. Like you just can't even imagine. It's the water and evaporation and transpiration, storage release and runoff. She goes, so you're gardening. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. It's even, it's really complex because yeah. we put this fine texture material over the coarse texture material. It's a port, like it doesn't drain. She goes, so that's what I do in my pots. So, so you're gardening. I said, yeah, you're right, I can. I'm gardening. And that actually reminded me because that's what Lee Barber, how, how he describes what cover systems are, is that you're just trying to build the right, right size flower pot. Interesting. Really, yeah. really interesting. Keep it simple. Don't think that you're solving cancer. We're just actually doing the best we can. Well, you've already introduced some really talented leaders from your life, mentors and family members. Uh, have you ever worked with or for or seen a lousy leader working? You're, you're looking at him, Peyton. <laughs> Honestly. Honestly. Yeah. I All right. Can... Well, do, do a harsh self-assessment then, Mike. <laughs> we'll what do a the, harsh self-assessment. Yeah. What are the things about yourself as a leader you've had to work hard to change or improve? Moving too fast. Yeah. Moving too fast. Not giving myself time to pause, to take a breath, have some compassion, try and get myself into the other person's perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. And then also, I, I think as well as saying, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm sorry, uh, that's my fault, and how can I make it better? Mm-hmm. Saying And just recognizing that, not waiting to be asked for, you know, just saying, hey, let's reset here, and, and that's that's on me. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that has uh, probably come out as a personal evolution, but also it's, it's EOS was, it has been a big, big help for me. That You know, the very first thing that drew me to EOS, and I, and I know we don't, we don't need to, re- you know, talk ad nauseum about EOS, but I have to share the first thing that brought to me. There was a a YouTube of, you know, those ones with the whiteboard and somebody's drawing something yes. like that. And so they were drawing this guy with a bunch of stuff going all over the place. Right. And I said, that's the first two minute video that actually I watched that said, okay, what's this EOS thing? Mm-hmm. Cause I said, that's me. Right. And so I think the difference is, is that I used to be really proud of being highly functional in chaos. And now I realize how stupid that is. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's not a really good thing to be proud of. It is much easier to do that by yourself than when there's a team of people around you 
who thrive on clarity and alignment. It's one of the reasons so many entrepreneurial companies hit the ceiling is what fuels you makes life difficult for other people often. And yeah. and I'm a poster yeah. child of that as well, as, yes. as yeah. everybody who knows me well that's listening to this podcast will yeah. attest. Well, so. I'll share my version of that of, of myself is that all my kids, my wife, were down in Disney World, and my kids love Disney World. My wife, not so much, right? But we're saying, I'm saying to her, I said, so we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that. And then, like, Megan, you're going to go over here, and Shay, you're here, and then you and you ticket that line. That's, yeah. yeah, and it's just, it's going to be so great. And I turned to my wife and say, okay, let's go. And she goes, we're doing none of that. (laughs) (laughs) I go, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And she goes, well, it sounds like you've decided everything. And I said, no, 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 no. They're just ideas. And so there's a great example. When I show up with too much emotion, too much passion for our team Mm -hmm. within O'Kane, it can be, uh, oh, Mike's decided everything. I said, no, no, no. They're just ideas. I got to give space for those people who bring that clarity. Yeah. Yeah. Another little lesson in there, and maybe you didn't intend it, and maybe you're going to disagree with me, but I think sometimes we think we're being clear that we're offering suggestions and ideas and what everybody else hears is orders and mandates. And there's definitely something wrong with everybody else, right, Mike? Absolutely. It has to be them. That's that's exactly right. And so, yeah, again, you're hitting a nerve that I need to work on as well. So it's a big one for me is that man, if I could just slow down and, yeah. and not make sure that I'm not making it about myself, absolutely. It's a, it's a better world. Let's flip the tables on you. And instead of the harsh self-assessment, tell me what you think you're proud of being a leader. What, what are the qualities you think help you build a great organization and, and lead people well? Well, I think I've changed. I'm a, I'm a much different person than I was even five or even 10 years ago. And I think a big part of that is really coming to the grips that the company doesn't need to define me and it doesn't anymore, right? I'm happy being me. Um, I've got my own little tests for whether I'm in a right headspace that means something really to me, how I feel. And we can talk about that if you want. But I think the biggest part is, is that I'm, I'm front center and present with my family and with my wife. I think that that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. Mm. Oh, that's great to hear. Tell me how you came to the realization you needed to make that more important in your life. Well, I think that if I was if you stop and listen, sometimes, and this kind of comes from the passionate part and then uh, that we talked about, is that when you're like that and then somebody starts to question, you start to feel like, well, I, well, I'm, I need to be right. Like, I, I'm right. I need to be right. I'm right. And then when somebody actually says to you, well, you're just trying to be right. You know, the bad headspace response is, is, well, so are you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. The much better headspace response is if I'm feeling that I need to be right and somebody is telling me that, then I'm not listening. And then I'm not actually seeking questions and I'm not prepared. And this is one for my brother who's another one of my mentors, Kevin. He goes, be prepared to have your answers questioned. And that's gold, right? And if you can get yourself into that and stop trying to be right and listen to what somebody says, hey, you're just trying to be right. Yeah. They're actually saying, they're actually telling you, you're not, you're not listening, Mike. Yeah, and EOS, I'm sure you've heard this many times. We, we talk about the importance of being open and honest, open to everybody's perspectives and viewpoints before you make up mm-hmm. your own mind and then yeah. just brutally direct whatever you're thinking, feeling, needing, just say it. That's and right. um, that is an easier thing to say than to live. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I'd say that that's the, you know, probably the rub, the friction that might occur between our leadership team and myself and our integrator 
is exactly around that. Mm-hmm. You know, getting into that comfortable space that we're we're each offering each of ourselves constructive, healthy conflict. And I think that's I, I think that a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah, they, and and, I, and I think they, you're a hundred percent right. And it's ironic because the things that really blow a team's organizational structure or alignment with one another or trust up are much more often the things not said than the things that are yeah. said. It's after that six months of festering mm-hmm. where your last nerve has been tweaked. That's when bad stuff happens. Not the minute something happened that you need to get into some healthy, productive conflict and you just say, hey, what was that all about? Those can yeah. be re- reasonably innocuous conversations, but man, after six months, they get really, really crazy. So that's what yeah. I'm trying to teach my teams to be afraid of the delay, not the conversation for what it's yeah. worth. I absolutely believe in that. And you even start to have these conversations with yourself, right? Oh. <laughs> right? And you're, you're asking the questions that you think the other yeah. person is gonna ask. Yeah. You say, well, I can't ask that question because they're gonna answer that question. You go. Or you could just ask the question. Yeah. Well, I have reread for the umpteenth time the book, The Untethered Soul by Dr. Michael Singer. And it's almost all about the argument we have with the voice inside our head that is constant. So uh, trust me, I've perfected the technique. (laughs) Tell me about a memorable moment of success for your organization or you as a leader. What happened? Why did it feel so good? And what do you think made it go so well? I think the memorable moment of the success, I guess for me, perhaps even for the company, is that we, and this may be a bit too soft, but but it's it's when we actually fully formed our leadership team and when we actually had like a real VTO and you're able to actually say and, and talk about is that here's the vision part. This is the part that I love. Here's the traction part. That's the, that's the stuff that you guys love, mm-hmm. right? And move between the two but they're both right there. And then right next to that, and I remember Mike Dunn, we talked about Mike Dunn. He said, I remember in the first meeting, you know, one day you're gonna have the okay way of the core processes. I'm like, I don't know, sounds good, Mike, but I have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> it was invigorating seeing our team, Bonnie, our integrator, present our core processes. To have even just something, something simple, Peyton, as we had our business cycle. Mm-hmm. Here's when our board meetings are. Here's where we're having our shareholder meeting. Like just, I mean, just something as simple as that. And I went, no, that to me, that that was powerful, yeah. right? And and a few, a lot of things that Mike Mike Don and Andrew Lemoyne, our current implementer, it's like, oh, all these things are falling into place, and it's just you're on this little this little journey. So I I maybe it's a bit soft, but it was powerful to me. Not not at all. I I, I always look at the business as an organism, and there's a mm-hmm. moment at which you recognize your organism is ready to go off to college or go out on its own or or whatever. Yeah. And and until then, it for most of us often feels like we're just working our butts off and doing lots of stuff. And there is no yeah. organism. It's just us and work. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so to me, yeah. I totally appreciate the significance of that and hope the listener does as well. What's the hardest or scariest moment of your leadership career? What rocked you to the core, if anything? Probably what rocked me to core, and it, it actually arose from all the things that we always talked about. Um, I had a very good friend in the business, and we we got out of the line. And un- unfortunately, um, we had to go our separate ways. Mm. That rocked me to the core. I went, oh, wow, I need to get better. 
I need to figure out what part I played in that. And I think that that really, really rocked me to the core, Peyton. And I'm sure this happens to everybody. Uh, there's these kind of things. And it all comes from lack of clarity on roles, misunderstanding of accountabilities, not having the, you know, assuming that everyone is on the same page. Yeah. And then you sort of start to escalate and you try and have that reset and somebody becomes vulnerable. And, and, and this is a part, this is one of the things that I, my personal growth here is that every time he was vulnerable, aha, I knew you made that mistake. So we created the space for vulnerability and I held it against them. Mm. That's not productive, right? Mm. So you're not going to be able to create trust if yeah. you're every time somebody is vulnerable that you're going to say, oh, I knew you made that mistake, mm. right? And, and I think having that sort of framework, that rocked me really realizing just how incredibly important that is. That's without a doubt one of my most scarier moments. Hmm. Well, that's a great answer. Thank you. I appreciate it, Mike. What do you do to develop? You, you mentioned this earlier that, you know, you have a method for testing your headspace. So I want to get into that and I want to talk about other things that you do to develop yourself as a leader or be your best self every day as a leader. So share with me the testing thing and anything else that comes to mind. The testing thing. Yeah. Sometimes when I share this, uh, it sounds like I need therapy, but we all do. We right? all do. <laughs> <laughs> and I have so, a name yeah. for you if you need it. <laughs> so my first sort of test is that I'm an introvert, strong introvert, and often I would feel uncomfortable of, of wanting to be alone. Right. Mm. And I think one of the tests is that is to not feel lonely when I'm alone. Mm. It's OK. I'm mm. gaining energy. Right. Not feel lonely. It's OK. And, and so I'm not being alone to avoid, but just not not being lonely when I'm alone. Mm. And the other one is a really interesting thing, too, is to not feel alone in a crowd. Mm -hmm. Right. My wife is the one with energy. She's an extrovert. She's full of energy. If you walk into our house, you, like you'd feel the culture of our mm -hmm. house. That's Krista. Right. It's amazing what she creates the smells, everything. But we have lots of people over all the time, family. And I'm, you know, sometimes I would feel, I feel a bit, I don't feel comfortable. But to not feel alone in that crowd, to be able to say, hey, it's actually okay not to say anything and just listen and then contribute, you know, when I need to. Or maybe I'm at a low energy point because I've been an extrovert all day and that's quite energy for me. And the third one is, is and this is, I think, is a very common one for people is that there's nothing out to get me, right? The world isn't about me, right? It's not about me, right? I'm just a tiny little thing in the world. And what it's about is how I, how I respond. Mm -hmm. And if I can take that pause and not feel that there's something out there that's... Uh, that's out to get me, so to speak. And when you feel like there's work to do after testing yourself there, what do you, where do you go to recharge your batteries or get better? I really, again, I'm not trying to oversell, I clarity breaks. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And uh, like one of the things that we always advocate for it, and, I, and I'm going to switch over and I'll come back if you don't mind, Peyton. One of the things we advocate for with the work that we do in the mining industry is we say we, we should do progressive closure, right? Don't wait to the end. You should do it while you're doing it. You'll mm -hmm. be able to demonstrate to people, stakeholders, the community that you actually can do it and you'll, you'll be able to cost it out better. Do progressive closure, mm -hmm. right? And then people ask, you know, well, why don't you're doing progressive closure? And people, well, it's because you don't care. So, no, 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 no. It's not that you don't care. It's not part of the plan, right? If it's not part of the mind plan, then it just simply doesn't get done. Mm -hmm. So the question actually becomes not about not caring. It's like, how do you get it into the mind plan? How do you demonstrate the value, right? I often say from mind closure, I've never met a closure plan that's ready to execute. And why isn't that? It's because we're not on the same page of the acceptable level of residual risk and we're not on the same page of the future land use. So if I'm going to do progressive closure, if I'm going to spend money on that now to resolve tomorrow's risk for later, I better be able to actually demonstrate that the value. Right. 
So it doesn't happen unless it's not part of the mind plan. Same with clarity breaks. They yeah. don't happen unless they're in my schedule. Yeah. We didn't meet today by chance. That's exactly right. And we and there's space for that, right? So when, space when as it's exa exactly what I've learned to do is when you have to say, Sorry, I just can't think. I'm overwhelmed. I don't have time to think. I'm like, well, have you scheduled time to think? Yeah. What, well, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> so. And I find it powerful. Yeah. I do meditation a lot as well. That certainly helps. I'm not great at it, but I do that quite often. But the clarity breaks for sure. And it can be all kinds of different things. It could be writing. It could be investigating stuff, uh, looking online, writing, reading a journal paper, all kinds of different things. Something to slow me down. Awesome. Let's take a little fun detour here before we wrap up with some serious stuff in a minute. My interview notes said you're um, a recovering overuser of sports analogies. <laughs> and I am not in recovery yet. And so tell me what you learned from sports, playing them, coaching them, watching people coach them that you think is applicable to leaders today. I'm going to use the, the simplest one. Basketball, high school, coach chambers, losing a game really badly, poor, like just ridiculous. Years later, when I went back and I always connect up with, with coach chambers and he goes and he tells me, do you remember that? And I said, well, I, I do. I remember winning the game. He goes, but do you remember what happened? Right. And I said, well, no, I don't. I just remember <laughs> the last part of the game. He goes, we were down by 28 points at the end of three quarters. And the other team scored zero points in the fourth quarter and we scored 29 and wow. we won. And I said, oh, yeah, oh, no, absolutely. I absolutely remember that. But the piece that actually I really do remember is my football coach, Coach Conley, afterwards that Jim goes to Bedlam. And he came up to me, pointed me in the chest and says, okay, never lose your passion. Ah, ah. And I think that my passion comes from a lot of paces, my dad, my mom, my brother. That's a powerful thing. Never lose your passion. Well, Mike, that made the whole conversation completely and totally worthwhile. I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> Ugh, so great. And I'm not going to recover from my overuse of sports <laughs> analogies anytime soon. That was beautiful. If you had to wrap everything you've learned up into one piece of advice for a leader who's just out there every day doing the good work, trying to be the best they can be, what's the most important advice you could give them? The little things really, really matter. They really, really do. I'm going to go just back a little bit in time, if you, if you don't mind. Many years ago, when I was in college, there was a horrible event that occurred in Montreal. It's called the Montreal Massacre. And I don't want to go into all the details, but that led to a really good friend of mine, Lori Newman, and her husband, Greg. We were really tightly connected, Greg, Lori, and I. And Lori started a, something called the Summer Sci-Fi Camp at the College of Engineering. It still exists, right? It's 30 years now. And it was designed for uh, girls interested in science in grades five to eight. And, you know, I encourage people to, to listening to you, Peyton, to go look up uh, what the Montreal Massacre is all about. A horrible, horrible occurrence. That was Lori's way, right? And Greg and I support her on that. Now, flash forward to maybe 10, 12 months ago, and I have one-to-ones with all of our folks, try to connect with them on an every quarterly basis. And I'm sitting there listening and talking with one of our, our just incredible, like everyone else in the company, just incredibly bright, young, energetic, passionate, everybody embodying our core values. And I'm talking to Lindsay, and I ask her one of the same questions, probably like you, how did you get into to engineering? Why did you choose? She goes, well, and my mom knew I liked math and science, and I went to this summer sci-fi camp. Wow. <laughs> now, talk about wow, exactly. <laughs> little things, Lori making just a little difference. I'm going to do some summer sci-fi camps. Don't know if it's going to last. That's pretty powerful. Mm, brilliant. 
What an absolute joy getting to know you, Mike. I could go on for another hour, but I want to respect your time. We both need time for a clarity break, right? <laughs> and, and maybe therapy. Before I let you go, I'm sure you've intrigued numerous listeners. Where can they learn more about you and O'Kane? O'Kane is www.okc-sk.com. SK is a Saskatchewan. That's at our heart. You can find us on LinkedIn under O'Kane, or you can search for me and you can search for us. And we're going to really help create a better tomorrow for Indigenous communities, for First Nations. That's uh, bring that entrepreneurial opportunity to and be part of bringing that to everybody. Ah, thank you, Mike. An absolute joy. Speaking to the listener, if you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did and you're not already subscribed, please open your podcasting app, uh, subscribe to the show and tell your friends all about it. Mike, thanks so much. Really appreciate meeting you and uh, wishing you and your team well in the future. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. If you got value from today's episode, do me a favor, share the episode with a friend. If you know someone who would benefit from the conversation I had today, make sure to share it with them. 